seated this morning. Amen. Amen. Our children are going to be dismissed, but let's keep our attitude of prayerful worship going and join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. And we need you. The thing is, Lord, that's so confounding to us is, is, is when you made us, you made us people who need you. When you said that we were good and very good, that this created order and us in it were good and very good, Lord, that goodness came with this understanding that we were, we were in need of you. We were in need of your provision, your watch care, your wisdom. And Lord, we didn't think that that was enough. Maybe we didn't think that we were enough. Maybe we think that, thought that we needed to not need you. And that would be better. But that's not been better, Lord. And so, God, we come to you. We ask that you would help us to settle into this reality that our need of you is exactly where we need to be. That's a good place. That's a place of health. That's a place of wholeness. That's a place of enoughness. God, I pray. Uh, Lord, be with us today. Uh, lead us. Speak to us. Encourage us, Lord. Equip us, Lord. Nourish us, Lord. Correct us, Lord. Refresh us, Lord. We pray that you would accomplish these things. I pray for me as I deliver your message that you would uh, help me to uh, do so without any anxiety, with courage, with conviction and assurance of your word that you have to speak. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that uh, I, I would be a faithful messenger of your word. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would help us as we receive your word. Uh, the things that challenge our hearts. If it challenges us, let's not just assume that we are right and that the word is wrong. Let us go to you and, and uncover that challenge in us. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that we would receive your word well. And that we would not just hear it, agree with it, but we would apply it to our lives. I pray that we would do so uh, because we love you and we want to honor you and we trust in you but we would also do so because we we trust that what you have for us is good and it's not just good for us but it's good for those around us and we want to make life well for those for not only for ourselves but for those around us the lord that we would do so so that others not would uh, would also know who you are and know your character, and know your will. I trust you. So Lord, I pray these things.
I pray them all in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, last week, I gave you all a little assessment. Um, and uh, if you weren't here, uh, I'll go explain for a second. Our capacity Several years ago, uh, Brother Mitch had recorded a track, and we had the instrument we don't, don't, didn't have at the time. We had the instrumentation. We had the drums. We had the bass. But slapping the bass, you know. Um, but uh, he has the capacity to do all those things, but he doesn't have the capacity to do all those things at once, does he? And here's something that we just saw this morning. Whenever you are going off a track, you can't improvise. You can't play jazz. Right? You can't say, hey, you know what? We're going to slow it down. We're going to stop. We're going to think about what we just sung, and we're going to sing it again in a different way. And so, like, the, the capacity to be able to improvise goes away. And, and then also, you know, Brother Mitch, for as talented and as special as he is, he has a perspective. But now he invites a group around him, and there's multiple perspectives. And there's, there's a give and a take and, a, and an expansion and a, and a you know, uh, a complementation with one another. And so when we've been thinking about capacity, we, well, we wanted to say, hey, what, what's my capacity? And what's our, and, and that will tell us what our capacity as churches. So I, I handed out that assessment last week. If uh, you didn't get it while you were here, I also emailed it. Uh, if you didn't get it either one of those ways, I don't know what to say. All right, I trust. No, but we could get you another one, but um, I told you all not to, it wasn't, it wasn't something for you to fill out and turn in with your name on top. I'm not going to be grading them. Uh, and, and it's something not to be done with shame or judgment or condemnation. It's just an honest assessment. Do I have the capacity to show up on Sunday morning to a, a, a worship service? Do I have the capacity to actually stay overnight and host at Family Promise? Do I have the capacity to, um, to, to, to participate in a Bible study? 
in a small group Bible study? Do I have the capacity to walk with somebody in one-on-one discipleship? Now let's not think about those, those classic ministry things. Let's think about this. Do I have the capacity to help with the church administrative functions? Do I have the capacity to uh, clean the glass doors that Macaulay's kids like to put their hands all over? And one of them licks the door sometimes. He's weird. Hey, don't call out somebody else's. And I don't know if you know this, he's my nephew, so like <laughs> there's some shared DNA there. <laughs> Still comes back, looking weird. Uh, do I have the capacity to help uh, set up and tear down tables when we're going to have a fellowship meal? So this was the type of assessment. I, I, I hope that you found yourself doing it. Here's the question that I have <clears throat> this morning. And you don't have to raise your hand, and I would encourage you not to. I just want you to think about it. I assume that I'm correct on this question, and that's not just because I assume that I'm correct about a lot of things. But I, I, I just know that whenever you go through an assessment like this, and that there is, even though, even though the instruction is do not take this assessment with shame or condemnation, I would imagine that you sat there and you had to think through some of the things and go, do I have the capacity for this? And if you said, I do not have the capacity for this, you kind of thought, oh, no. Maybe, maybe. Instead of saying, I don't have the capacity, you said, well, I could make the capacity for that. And that's not the exercise, really. The exercise is, right now, sitting where I'm at, do I have the capacity for this? Capacity doesn't mean, do I have the desire that I would ever want to do this? Capacity means, hey, do I have the actual time to do this? You know, I think about the small group Bible study, you know, uh, do I have the capacity to do this? You know, sometimes, like, sometimes, like, we get so proud about going to Bible studies and doing all of our studies together and going to church and doing all the meetings together. And there's some, that, that's good stuff. It's always good to study the word and to study in community. But it's like, I think sometimes, like, there's this, there's this anxiety that rises up in people, like, if <laughs> any Bible study that comes along, I need to participate in it. Or, or, or we need to have all these Bible studies. And, and when we stand before the Lord, the only thing he's going to ask us and what we're going to be judged on is not how many Bible studies we went to, but if those Bible studies helped shape us and formed our character, and if they helped equip us to be disciples and disciple makers. Right? If we're going to Bible study just to check off the list that we did the good Christian things, we're missing, we're missing the meat. But back to my question. Maybe not all of them. Maybe some of them you were like, I have no problem saying I do not have the capacity to do that. But some of them you thought, especially like you think about Bible study, you think about one-on-one discipleship. Do I have the capacity to do this? Well, I really want the capacity to do this, definitely. But I have to get 
Jesus said, I don't want to say I don't have the capacity to do this. So there's anxiety that can come up if you identify that you don't have the capacity. And that anxiety is rooted in, in, and it kind of plays into this idea of scarcity. I can't do that because I don't have enough. And scarcity and that anxiety play on each other. enough time. Oh no. Oh no. We're scarce for time. You know, people could commodify scarcity. We, we've, we've done that in the church, in fact. And, and, and there's something to say for valuing time and understanding that it is a finite resource for every single one of us. But how many of y'all have heard the preacher come at you? The, the end is near. The time is running out. You better get out there. And it's not encouragement. It's not rooted in hope. It's not rooted in love. It's not rooted in motivated in, 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 in abundance. It's rooted and it's motivated in scarcity. And fear. And I've told y'all over the last several weeks, I was working through this personally, and I and I, I find it, you know, as our church, like we can be working through this as a as a ministry. We don't just do this in ourselves with our with our. What do I have the capacity for? But we can do this when we start going. Oh no, our church isn't doing enough. We're not being enough. And I'm not speaking against honest evaluation about how we can make things uh, you know, more fitting or more clear. Uh, you, know, you know, one of the things that I've been talking to some people about is I want to be a a more effective communicator, uh, meaning I want to be uh, shorter in my communication. I want to be clearer in my communication. Um, I don't know if y'all know this. On a lot of Sundays, oh, okay, that was <laughs> a little laborious. I also walk out not going, man, I got to preach today. I walk out like, oh my goodness, you, oh, why did you just not trust to say this one thing? And why did you go on here? And so, whenever I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about some good evaluation. I'm not talking about us being able to you know, sharpen some things up. But I am concerned. I am concerned that we, we far too often have a scarcity mindset when it comes to uh, ourselves. As a church, we can have a scarcity mindset when it comes to the church. 
Walter Brueggemann, a theologian, he, uh, he, he kind of walks through the story of, uh, uh, that precedes the Exodus, the story where Pharaoh has a dream. And this dream creates this anxiety within him. Oh no, this dream is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ominous dream. There's seven, there's seven fat cows, and, and they come up out of the water, and then, and then seven skinny cows come up out of the water, and then the skinny cows eat the fat cows, and they aren't made fat. They're still skinny. And he begins to ask everybody, what does this dream mean? And Joseph is able to tell him, well, there's going to be seven plenty years, and then there's going to be seven lean years. And, of course, we know that the wisdom of Joseph is in but but, but Brueggemann points out that, that all of this, this, this story that ends, and here's where we have to be important that we understand where it ends. Where does it end? It doesn't end in the empire all being fed. What we should really say is it ends with, with the children of Israel in slavery. They end in slavery because Pharaoh, who has everything, who had more than enough, got anxious and saw that scarcity was a possibility. And so then he began to commodify the goods. And you don't just commodify goods, you commodify people. And so whenever Israel and his family moved down to Egypt, why does the children of Israel end in slavery because anxiety and scarcity come up again. Oh no, they're, they're becoming too many. There's not enough land. They're going to take over us. And so they're right back into slavery. And I bring that out today because I want us to be able to see an illustration about this, this, this scarcity mindset and the danger that it can lead to. The scarcity mindset of a church where we don't have enough programs, so we make more programs. And then what happens is you become commodities in the church. You become enslaved to making the programs function. Now you can do this with a good, joyful, pure heart. Volunteer, serve. But it could also be this real guilt-ridden, shameful, fearful place that you are working from. And so that's why we are trying to identify our capacity so that we stay away from this place of scarcity. But I understand that in identifying our capacity, there can arise this anxiety That makes us feel like we're not doing enough. And so today, what I want to 
bring our attention to is what I prayed about a few minutes ago. The God who gives in abundance. The God who abounds in love toward who? To us. A lot of work gets done from the place of fear, scarcity, mindset. A lot of work gets done. A lot of good work gets done, too. So we can become deceived. To think that's what we need to actually get work done. And to get good work done. It can become a deception for us. Uh, Our whole world operates. From a place that it's not enough. If you go back to the very, very first time that that Adam and Eve ate the fruit. It wasn't enough that he gave them all the other treats. It wasn't enough that he made them in his image. And the subtle uh, uh, deception is not only is God not enough, he's not given you enough, but then it also comes in and it flips up and that means you're not enough. You have to prove yourself. So I believe fundamentally there is this idea that we have to get back to a place and where we need to work from is this place that says what we have been given is good. It's abundant. It's enough. Who we are, what we were able to accomplish together It is enough. Now, if you stop and you take a step back and you go, well, it's not enough because look at all the things that are still happening in this world. Well, it's never going to be enough to fix everything. But what we are able to accomplish together is enough of what God wants from us. Because we aren't working at this alone, are we? We're not at this by ourselves. The question was raised when we were in Ukraine. And we have our little mission organization doing some really, really awesome quality work. But the question was raised when we were in Ukraine. How how do you do what you do and then continue to look around and know that the need is so great? And not crumble under that. How does that not, like, keep you up at night? How does that make you not just go, like, throw your hands up in the air and go, it's not even worth doing what we're doing because we're, not, we're only making a small dent. And it was posed to Sean, and, and we agree with this, but Sean said, 
essentially what uh, my dad used to say all the time, and it's that kind of silly but really profound illustration of the man walking down the beach one day and sees this little boy throwing these starfish back into the ocean. And the beach was littered with starfish. And the man approaches the little boy and he says, son, you're not going to be able to get all these starfish back into the ocean. And he says, you know, you're not going to be able to make a difference for all of them. And the little boy picks up that one starfish and throws it into the ocean and says, but I made a difference for that one. And that's enough, if that's what we're called to do. So today, I would invite us to consider, as we assess our capacity, I would invite us to consider, instead of looking at it as I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the resources. This is the time I've been given. This is the energy I have to invest in that. These are the resources I've been given to provide for that. Does your time need to be used elsewhere? Yes. Does your energy, is it required for other endeavors and other tasks? Yes. Are your resources uh, uh, required elsewhere to, 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 to feed, to provide, to clothe, to shelter? Yes. And God, thank you for all that you've given me to use in those capacities. And thank you for what you've given me to operate in this capacity. And that's actually where abundance begins. Abundance begins with us not just assessing our capacity, but being grateful, thankful for the capacity that we have been given. And I say this not just off the top of my head. I say it uh, in, uh, <clears throat> in accordance to uh, some other uh, folks. Uh, one folk in particular, a man by the name of Wayne Dyer. He said the first step toward this. Guarding a scarcity mentality involves giving thanks for everything that you have. Giving thanks for everything that you have. Before we start evaluating and maybe even, you know, sharpening up some things. I believe it's important for us to give thanks for what we have. It's a, it's a big rule in ministry, but it often gets forgotten. Don't worry about the people who aren't here today. Minister to the people who are. How do you do that? You give thanks. Father, I thank thee that you've hid these things from the wise 
and you've revealed them unto babes is what Jesus prayed in Matthew 11. In the text, in Luke chapter number 12, I read that this week, and I want to return to that today. Um, I, I sent it out by way of email. Y'all might have read it um, in the Tuesday email. You might not have. You might have disregarded that because you didn't have the capacity to do it, and that's all right. We're going to have another opportunity this morning. But in the text, we find Jesus in Luke chapter number 12 preparing his disciples. And he's preparing this ragtag group of uh, misfits and rebels, um, uh, much like you and me. He's preparing them uh, to be his apostles, his emissaries, his ambassadors, the ones who are going to, the first ones who are going to uh, be the living witnesses. That the one who was crucified on Friday came back to life on Sunday. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that's where he reigns at this present moment. He has sent us his spirit, and his spirit empowers us and gives us wisdom and gives us peace and gives us love so that we can go throughout all the world telling them that there is a king who rules, who is greater than Caesar. And there is a kingdom that is greater than Rome. There's even a kingdom that's greater than Israel. There's a kingdom that's better than America. There is a kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom of heaven does not have to be uh, uh, brought in by violent revolution. This kingdom of heaven doesn't, doesn't come in and, uh, and, 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 you know, it does not take place only when it puts down all the other kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of heaven, as Jesus says, is at hand. So people who are living in oppression and exploitation under Roman rule and Roman authority, they can live with abundance. They can live as though there's enough. These would be his first disciples. Uh, job is to go and to be ambassadors about who he is and who his king and what his kingdom is, and that his kingdom is not some far off, distant, um, uh, uh, longed for reality, but it is present it is at hand even whenever you see all the all the all the doom all the gloom all the hate all the hurt all the offense all the oppression all the exploitation his kingdom can reign but he knew that these people these these disciples of his were going to be up against it they weren't going to be doing this in a vacuum they weren't going to be uh, speaking this message uh, 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 themselves and, and, and them be the only voice. There were going to be contrary voices. And what he also knew about his disciples was his disciples, and he warns them against this and he prepares them for this. They were going to be brought before kings and rulers, before uh, 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 magistrates, and they were going to have to answer for why they were preaching this hostile message. So. Luke chapter 12 starts out with Jesus saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I thought about that. I said, Man, that's, there's a lot that we can go into what the leaven of the Pharisees is. It's their doctrine. It's their teaching. Well, that's part of it. But here's something that I think is, 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 is primary to this as well, is Jesus is looking at his disciples, and he's going to be off the scene one day, and he's going to send them out into this world, and they are not going to get the respect, the, uh, the, the, the regard, 
they're not going to get the political um, backing. They're not going to get the place of honor at the banquet. But the Pharisees are. And their community, the Pharisees, could come in and everybody's going to go, look at this Pharisee. And they're going to honor them. And the leaven for the disciples was, you really want that. You really want the authority. You want the influence. You want the respect. You want the dignity that they get. Don't you? Don't you? And Jesus knows his disciples aren't going to get respect and dignity and influence. What his disciples are going to get is they're going to get called into the Sanhedrin and they're going to be told, don't you speak in that name anymore. And then they're going to get called back before the Sanhedrin and they're going to get beaten up. Roughed up. And, and, and then uh, his disciples, second generation, uh, they're going to start killing them. Beware of the leaven. Beware, you're not going to measure up with all, the, with all the religious teachers in your world. A man, after Jesus goes on and speaks about that for a little bit, a man uh, from the crowd says, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Whenever I read this chapter, I see there's all these things about uh, scarcity mindset that start to come up. You're not going to measure up to the other people's influence and authority. The guy speaks up. He goes, I'm not getting enough inheritance. You need to speak to him and you need to settle the score. And then Jesus speaks this word. <clears throat> he says, uh, I, I, I'm not the judge or the lawyer or the divider over you. And then he says, take heed and beware of covetousness or greed. He says, because a man's life does not consist in the, uh, uh, in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And he speaks a parable unto them. He says that there was this man and he had all of this. Uh, he, he said, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He had so many fruits, but he still had scarcity mindset. I have so much fruit, but I don't have enough space. What a dilemma. And so what does he do? I know what I'll do. I'll build a bigger barn. And that night, Jesus says, God says, I, 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 your soul is required at my hand. God said unto him, thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. And then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he begins to speak to his disciples about how abundantly they are loved and cared for and provided for by God. And I want to read this to you as I read it this week, and I'll encourage you 
Imagine it's not me sitting here saying these words. Imagine it's a much, a much better man than me. Imagine it's the greatest man who ever lived. Imagine it's our liberating King Jesus. Imagine he's not, he's speaking to his group of disciples, and this is the first time that he's saying these words, and these are the first time that you're hearing these words. And imagine that he speaks to them not to shame or condemn you, but imagine he speaks to tenderly care for you and to encourage you, to love you. Verse number 22, he says to his disciples, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food. And your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No. And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look, consider this. Consider the lilies. Not the roses, not the tulips, not the gardenias, the lilies. And not the beautiful lilies. I'm talking about the weed lilies. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Uh, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And here's the point. If God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith about this? Why don't you trust that what he's given you is enough? And what he will provide is enough. And that how he loves you is enough. And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Your father already knows your needs. Your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock. God is very happy to provide for you. Food, clothing, yes. But more than that, the kingdom. The kingdom. He is so happy to provide us the kingdom. So here's what you're free to do. Because he's abounding in us for, with love. You can sell your possessions 
and give to those in need. This will store up treasure in heaven for you. And the purses of heaven never get old. They never develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. There's no reason for us to be anxious or operate out of fear or have a scarcity mindset. No, there's not. Because our Father desires to give us the kingdom. And he gives him so great joy and pleasure to do that. So how do I apply that to us as a church? Yes. Yes, we will evaluate. Yes, we will sharpen. Yes, we will identify our opportunities. But I believe when we consider our capacity, we have to start out with saying, thank you for what you provided for me. Thank you for this little building that is bought and paid for on this beautiful piece of property in this wonderful community. Thank you for these people who I get to journey with, get to serve with, get to fellowship with. I won't be so presumptuous, but you could pray it. Thank you for this little pastor. Thank you for the ministry that we have at our hand right now. We're going to have two families come into our church building this week because they don't have a home. And we get to provide for them a place where they are going to have uh, a comfortable bed, warm meal, loving, caring people who are going to welcome them. And amidst all the stresses and all the pressures that they face and all the hardness that they face in life, they are going to have a place where they can rest and find respite. God, thank you for this opportunity. We will not seize the opportunities, uh, I don't believe, until we are thankful for the opportunities that are in front of us. The opportunities that we have the capacity to endeavor upon. And when we do, we can seize them not with fear, not out of scarcity mindset, but we can seize them out of the abundant gratitude, the, the, the fullness of joy. Look at what God's provided for us. Look at what we're able to do. Look how he's given us the kingdom. The kingdom that we long to see is here. It's here in family promise. It's here on Sunday mornings when we say, Lord, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. It's here. It's here in you. It's springing up like a well from within you. My brothers and my sisters, I'm so thankful for you.
so thankful for the opportunities that God gives us and for the capacity that he gives us to do this. I'm so thankful that our God has abounded toward us and given us abundantly above all that you and I could ask or even dream up. Amen? God, thank you. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, far too often, transformation and change, as we see it, is rooted. Uh, it's rooted in fear. It's rooted in scarcity mindset. It's rooted in we're not being enough, doing enough, acting enough. Uh, Lord, uh, sometimes that's just us looking too much at ourselves. And Lord, there might be truth to some of those things, but Lord, the reality is this. Is we want our transformation to be rooted. Our transformation to be rooted in all that you've given us and all that is possible through what you've given us. We want our transformation to be rooted in love and hope in this provision that God has given us. Uh, the psalmist said, uh, the, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. There's not a thing that we lack, Lord. We have the resources. We have the capacity that we have. We lack for nothing. That's where we want to start, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would help us. Help us to uh, just begin to name the things that we are grateful for. The opportunities that we have in front of us. And that we'll go from there. We'll grow in our capacity as we grow in resting in your abundance and surrendering to your abundance, Lord. I pray these things. I'm going to invite you just for the next minute. I would encourage you.